0: Good morning, guys. How you doing? Man, I tell you what, I've already had a great, great morning. I hope you've had as well. Let's give it up for the band again. Man, what a great job leading us in worship. That's awesome. What you just saw was a preview of a new series we're going to be starting next week entitled Silent Nights. And uh, the whole premise of this series is what happens when you talk to God and he seems silent, when things are quiet and you trust in God and things maybe don't, Turn out the way they should and when you pray to him and there's just silence One of the things we're going to be learning in this series is that in the silent Times in those quiet times where we feel like he doesn't speak He's drawn us deeper with him so that we can be able to hear him speak So uh, that's next week. Uh, Today, we're finishing our series entitled Recovery Road. And if this is your first time here at One Church, we want to welcome you. uh, For all of our first-time guests, let's give it up for them. Also, we want to just say a huge round of applause and welcome to our VIPs, our volunteers, make all of this possible. So let's give it up for them as well. Thank you, VIPs. You guys are awesome. It's because you serve that we continue to see life change take place. And we, we're able to see people get baptized and people to take that next step of faith. It's so exciting. What, what we're ending the series today called Recovery Road, and really the whole premise of this series, if, again, if this is your first time with us, you can go to onechurchmedia.tv and you can watch all of the messages in this series. But the whole premise of this series is this. Everybody's talking about recovery in this country. We're all talking about because of Obamacare and because of furloughs, because of all of this stuff. There's a lot of finger pointing in Washington. The Democrats are blaming the Republicans and the Republicans are blaming the Democrats. And we've talked about in this through this entire series that Jesus has a lot to say about recovery. And about what our next steps should be. So today, to be honest with you, we're talking about entitlement. And we talked about this that first week. Our first week we said that our country doesn't have a spending problem. We have, excuse me, we don't have a financial problem. We have a spending problem. That we have a discipline problem. That we have been blessed with so much. And we continue to squander what we've been blessed with. And we talked about our big idea that first week is that recovery begins with we, not they. You see, our entire mindset is if those yahoos in Washington would get that stuff right, then recovery would happen. And we talked about this, that recovery is not going to begin in Washington, D.C. It's going to begin in Clarksville, Tennessee, when you and I and Christ followers really get serious about what Jesus said about our money and how we should vote and all of this stuff. And again, I'm not pushing one party or the other. Both of them are kind of jack legs. i got to be honest with you. All right, so what we're going to end today is we're going to be talking about this entitlement thing, and we're going to really dig in deep with the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Now, before we dig right in, we're going to be in John chapter 13 today, but before we get there, I'm going to kind of set the stage, if you will, because Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, and he is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. All right, it's him and his 12 disciples and probably some other people are kind of following along beside him. And he's telling his disciples, he's he's just wanting to kind of bring them up to speed. Hey guys, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm going to be whipped. And eventually it's going to end with my own death. And in the midst of this very intimate moment where Jesus is just leaning into his disciples and kind of pulling back the veil, and he doesn't want them to be surprised of what, what's going to happen. Because at this point, everybody's kind of following Jesus because of what they can get for Jesus. It's amazing. Things had not changed too much in 2,000 years, right? I mean, you got all these people following Jesus, and if they can't get close to Jesus, they want to get close to the disciples. And up to this point, the disciples are kind of like rock stars, um, everybody's talking about Jesus. Everybody's talking about Jesus. And in the midst of this, we see James and John, two brothers who are Jesus's friends, his disciples. They start. They come to Jesus and say, "Hey, Jesus, you know you've been talking about this kingdom, and you're the king. And we realize that I, we we have a request to make. In the midst of this, we would like to be on your right." and James on your left. We want to be your right-hand and left-hand men. We want to be uh, in positions of authority. We want to have the outranking everybody else. We want to have that entitlement that we're asking for. And in the middle of Jesus saying, "Hey, I'm going to die." I this is my this is it for me. You got James and John saying, "Hey, can you give us Just just make us a little bit higher than everybody else. I mean, how insensitive is that? How callous is that? If somebody kind of told you, hey, this is my last couple of days to live, and they say, okay, whatever, what am am I going to get from you, right? How insensitive would that be? And all the other disciples, they hear this, and you know what? They get mad. And they don't get mad because James and John are being insensitive. They get mad because they're kicking themselves, we should have asked Jesus that. We should have asked to be on his right or the left. And, and they're thinking, that's not fair. All of us have followed him just as much as James and John. And they start arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus is going, I'm getting ready to die. And he, he gets so frustrated, he puts them all in timeout. How many of y'all, you got kids, you put all of your children in timeout. All right, I've done that. It's like I take all my boys. Y'all go to your rooms. I don't want to see your face in an hour, right? I mean, he just, that's kind of how Jesus, he put them all in timeout. He got underneath the tree and he said, okay, guys, I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell it to you again. Lean in. So they lean in. And he says, Jesus says, you know how? You know how the Gentiles, when they get into authority, and, and, and kind of other rulers, and, and pagan rulers, this, when they get into authority, they kind of like lord it over you, and they kind of make sure that you serve them, and that they're entitled, and they kind of do whatever they want to do, this special entitlement. You know how when um, when people come into power, and they kind of line their own nest, and people have to serve them, and they're kind of the, the, the big dogs, you know how... that you know how people do that and the disciples are like yeah we know how they do that because that's what we want i mean that's the reason why we're following you jesus you keep on talking about kingdom 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 and you're the king we want to be those people we want to be the people that when we say hey you need to go left they go left And when you need to go right, you go right. If you need to jump, you ask how high. We want to be the people in charge telling people what to do. And Jesus, in the middle of this, him telling them, hey, I'm going to die. They start arguing about who's the greatest. What in the world? What in the world? And in the midst of this, Jesus says, you know how? People like in Rome and this and that, they kind of make everybody, they lower everybody and they puff themselves up. And you know how the Gentiles lorded over them? He says this, and here's this verse. He says this Not so with you. Not so with you. Jesus says, You know what, guys? It's fine if you want to be great. That's okay. It's fine if you want to be in charge. It's fine if you want to have authority and you want to be the ruler, if you want to be the person in charge. But guys, if that day comes where you actually have that authority, that you actually have that position, where you actually have the opportunity to rule over other people, you know how the Gentiles do it. You know how the typical ruler and leader does it. Not so with you. I hope that one day, Jesus says, I hope you have that kind of power. But when you have it, don't you use it like everybody else you've seen uses it. Now, here's the thing. It's been said about this generation, the 18 to 34-year-olds, that the best word used to describe them is this word right up here. In fact, some of you who have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you think this, my average teenager, 18 to 34, they feel entitled. And we define this in our first week is that a word entitled means you owe me. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to be too hard on the 18 to 34-year-olds. Because in my opinion, I believe everybody, everybody in America struggles with this. We all struggle with this idea of Entitled or entitlement. And you want to know how I know this? Because of what happened last Friday. Now, again, if you were here last week, I've made a pretty strong thing. Don't go shopping on Thanksgiving. How many of y'all didn't go shopping? Let me see your hands. Good job, y'all. That's awesome. Look, give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. All right. For the others, you didn't raise your hand. I'm videotaping this, and I'm, I'm finding out where you live. I'm just joking. Um, I... T- the- But here's the thing, Black Friday, nothing wrong with shopping on Black Friday. And How many of y'all, you went out with Black Friday? No shame in it. That's cool if you did. Great, that's cool. Here's the thing. The best way I can describe this word is Black Friday. And here's what I know. Ladies, you showed up at Kohl's, and there were 600 of you outside of Kohl's on Friday morning, right? And you were looking for that blouse, and they only had 30 of them and there's 600 of you with your faces pressed towards the glass, right? And and you get in there, and the doors open, and bam, you're in there, and you're fighting over it, you're elbowing people, and you get the blouse. You are one of the 30 people that gets the blouse. And you're like, I was here since 4.30 this morning. I am entitled to it. I I should have that. Okay, uh, cool. Guys, all right, let's get off the ladies for a sec. Best Buy. You Because you heard the sermon, you didn't go shopping on Thanksgiving, but you went at 12.01 a.m. Friday morning, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to listen to the pasta, but you were in the car revving it up at 11.50. You know what I mean? You get to Best Buy, right, and you got that 60-inch LED 120 megahertz refresh rate, 3D TV for $299. Are you out of your mind? And you're there, and, and there's like 60 guys, and they only have two TVs. Right? And you're there at 1201 a.m. Friday morning, and you are right there, and there is hundreds of people are there. And they open up the doors, and you go through and people are grabbing this TV, that TV, you don't even know what TV you got. You just grab something. It's, it's people brought their own tools so that they could take the TV, display TVs off the wall. Just saying. It gets nuts. And why? Because you've earned it. I mean, you've been there. you paid your dues. You got there at 12.01 a.m., and you're entitled to it. Now, here's the thing. I want you to kind of just spend some time with this. Because... If you're a Christian, if you're a church person, if you can imagine Jesus walking into Best Buy, I know that may be a little bit of a stretch. Can you imagine Jesus walking into Kohl's, ladies? And as you fight it out over those blouses, as you're fighting it out over those 60-inch TVs, Jesus trying to sort all of that out, what would Jesus say in that situation to you? What would Jesus say? Would he take the blouse that, uh, that you kind of fighting over, and would he do what Solomon did and, like, cut it in half and say, you take one, the other person take the other? Or, guys, you're at Best Buy, and would, what would Jesus do in that situation? He'd show up and say, okay, I know how we fit the, We're going to cut it in half. You take 30 inches, and you take 30 inches, and go in peace with your pieces. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do? I mean, what would Jesus do when it comes to this whole entitlement issue? And what's so cool about this is the New Testament tells us, the New Testament models for us what Jesus would do. And I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, what I'm about to talk about is so huge. And here's the cool thing about this. If you're not a Christian, if, church, if not going to church is your thing, you're off the hook today. You don't have to do anything about what I say, nothing. But if you're a Christian... We have to do what Jesus modeled for us to do. And here's the cool thing about that. If we did it, it just might change our world, and it will definitely change your world. I mean, Jesus would walk into those environments where we are asking ourselves, what are we entitled to? And even in our money situations, where how much taxes should we pay? Or here's the new question, how much of your money do you deserve to keep? Which means how much of your money are you entitled to keep? And how much is the government going to take? If Jesus walked into that situation, what would he say? And here's the thing. We're asking, I think, the wrong question. We're asking this question. What am I entitled to? Here is the question I think Jesus would ask, and it's on the screen. What will you do with what you're entitled to? See, that's a better question. And I think that's the question that Jesus, if he walked into those situations, he would ask that, what are you going to do with what you're entitled to? Now, again, Christians, if we could just get this right, we could change our country. If if just the Christians could get this right, it could change the reputation of the church. If we could get this right, we could be able to move the church out of the margins of society and make it front and center again. And if we could just get this thing right, wouldn't it be extraordinary this this is just basic Christian teaching, and again, it's what Jesus modeled, because everybody wants to know whose side are you on. Are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Are you on the left? Are you on the right? And let me tell you, I don't think Jesus cares about any about don- donkeys or elephants. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And if you're over here arguing about Republicans, Democrats, donkeys, elephants, you have your sights way too low. Because Jesus says, I want to do something that's bigger than those two parties. You're both wrong, Jesus would say. I don't care what you think you're entitled to. The question is, what are you going to do with what you're entitled to? And the answer to that question, if we answer that correctly, the world changes. Our world changes. It changed in the first century. Christians who had nothing within 300 years toppled a Roman Empire, not with an army, but through their generosity. Now, Jesus modeled it in the most extreme way in John chapter 13. It's Thursday night. He's at the end of his life. This is going to be the last night he's alive before he's crucified. In just 12 short hours, he's going to be hanging on a cross. So he is with his disciples, his last night, Thursday evening, in an upper room, and they're celebrating Passover. Now, what is Passover? It's this Jewish holiday where they celebrated the death angel passing over um, the homes in Egypt, uh, where they would put the blood on the doorpost, and the angel wouldn't strike the firstborn dead. This is a scary story. This is not a story you tell your children right before you go to bed at night, right? Hey, you know the angel of death's going to get you. Good night, <laughs> right? You don't. I mean, it's just kind of a scary story. But in the middle of the story of the Passover, them celebrating the Passover, Jesus, as he's taking the wine, as he's taking the bread, and he's talking about the lamb, here he says something amazing that answers the question, what are you going to do with what you're entitled to? John chapter 13 verse 1 says this. It was just before the Passover festival. So it's, it's, it's official. Passover is here. Next verse. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he knows that the end is near. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And this is setting us up for what we're going to see. Next verse, verse 2. The evening meal was being served was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So again, if you know the story, uh, Judas is already decided to betray Jesus. Everything is, the wheels are in motion. And then John tells us this, verse 3. Jesus what? Jesus knew that the Father had put how many things? all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. Now, here's what's so cool about it. this. Is so amazing. In this moment, it's somehow as Jesus is talking, he's kind of realizing, and again, he kind of always knew this, but it's like everything is under his authority. Everybody say everything. Everything is under Jesus's authority. He's put everything under that. And he's not only, this is what's so cool, Jesus is the most powerful person in that room. Not only that, Jesus is the most powerful person in that city. Not only that, Jesus is the most powerful person in that country. Jesus is the most powerful person in the world. He's got the power. So what do you do when you realize you have the power? What do you do when it dawns on you that God has given you all of this power, you are the most powerful person in the world, and you know just right down the street, just a couple of blocks, there's some people plotting for you to be killed in just a few hours. In fact, you know that there's one person in your midst who's getting ready to go out the back door And he's getting ready to sell you for 30 pieces of silver. What do you do? What's your next move? What is your next move when you realize that you have been entitled by God with all the power that exists in the entire world? What do you do when you are entitled to that power? Look at what Jesus does next. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing. What is he doing here? Well, you see, back in those days, Jesus uh, was called rabbi, and that's just a way of being a religious teacher. And how you would know people were religious teachers is that they were wearing these robes. And you were walking down the street, oh, that person is a religious teacher. It would be kind of like today in a Catholic church, you would see a person with a collar, right? Okay, that person is a preacher. That person is a teacher. He's a priest. In that same way, you could be able to tell that Jesus had authority, his rabbinical authority, because of what he wore, his outer garment. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And at that moment, there were so many different emotions going on in that room because they realized what he was about to do. He had gone from rabbi to servant simply by just taking off that robe and putting a towel around his waist. Some of the men in the room thought, oh, I should have done that. I should have hired somebody to do that. Some people thought, you know what, I should have planned this. Some of the people in the room should have thought, you know what, maybe we should have hired somebody to do this. And at least one man in the room thought, there's no way I'm going to let him wash my stinky feet. Because you see, at that time, everybody wore sandals. Some of you, if you wore sandals, you didn't know this, but you're very spiritual, all right? Because Jesus wore sandals. So they would wear sandals, and you know what? It would be dusty, dirty roads with animals going up and down the roads, so animals do their business in the road, all this, and their feet would get nasty. So when they came into a house, they would take off their sandals, and there would be a little boy or a little girl, probably a little slave, and they would wash their feet, and make sure to get all the gunk and grime off of it. And then they would go, and they would recline at a table where they would eat. And here, in this moment, nobody's done that. Nobody's done this for the disciples. And hear me, do you know what your Savior did the moment he was most aware that he had been entitled by God to all power and all authority? You know what Jesus did when he realized he was the most powerful person in the room? He served. He became a servant. Look at it. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, Peter's going, time out. Seriously? Seriously, you're going to wash my feet, Jesus? I have seen you do some amazing things with those hands. You have broke bread and it's fed thousands of people. You have healed people. You've raised people from the dead with those hands. And those awesome, miracle-working, amazing hands is going to wipe the grime and junk out between my toes? Uh Uh-uh. No, you're not. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. In other words, men, you think I'm simply just doing what you didn't hire somebody to do. You think I'm simply doing what you should have done. You think I'm simply doing something that's customary. But let me tell you, what I'm doing is so bigger than that. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, this is so powerful, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. So in that moment, the visual, Jesus, the rabbi, took off his authority and his cloak, let it drop. He put a, a towel behind his waist, around his waist. He became servant. He served. He took off the towel, and he put back on his rabbinical robe. And there's silence in the room, and nobody's eating. And everybody's like going, did that just happen? It was awkward. And then Jesus asked a question. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me what? Teacher. That's what, that's what rabbi is. Teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus is saying, that is what I'm entitled to. I'm entitled to be teacher. When you've called me teacher, I don't say, don't call me that. When people call Jesus Lord, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm really not the Lord. Don't call me that. He says, no, I am entitled to all of those, those labels, and that is what you should call me. Those are the titles, and that's the level of respect that I'm entitled to. I'm going to keep on reading, though. Do you understand what I've done for you? He says, teach your Lord. He doesn't dispute that. You've washed your feet. You should also wash another's feet. Now, look at this. I love that. Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Verse 15. Here's the point. I have set you and what is it? I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying when you get around people, get some basin, get a towel, and rub their toe grime. He's not saying that. What he is saying is this. What has he done? When When you're the leader, when you're the most powerful person in the room, that they are to follow his lead and that they are to serve. He says, I've set for you an example. That means at any moment, at any place, at any time, when it dawns on you that you're entitled, I've set for you an example. If you ever wonder what you should do with the entitlement of time that you have, the entitlement of money, the entitlement of influence, entitlement of power, that entitlement of possession, you need to ask yourself, what am I supposed to do with the entitlement that he's given me? I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, Christians, 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 these are our marching orders. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand this. You don't have to be able to know and exegete forms of Greek and Hebrew to understand this. He could not have made it any clearer to the people sitting in that room and the people sitting in this room for us today. The question is not, what are you entitled to? The question, the better question is this, what will you do to leverage what you're entitled to for the sake of those who are less entitled? That's the question. What what you got, how are you going to leverage that to help out the people who don't have anything? James said it this way, that real religion, that a real church person, what they're going to do is they're going to help the widows and the orphans. They're going to help people who cannot help themselves. My friends, that should be the reputation of the church in our community and in the world. But when people think of church, that's usually not what they think of. They think of a church, they think of hypocrites, they think of people who are just trying to build these big buildings or edifices, whatever. But they don't think of that. What what should they think of when they think of church? They should think, you know what, I don't believe what they believe, but I'm glad they're in this community. You know, people should be able to say, you know what, I don't, I don't bind all the Jesus stuff. I don't, I don't, but I hope my daughter marries a Christian. You know, I hope my son marries somebody like that. You know what, I, I don't understand the whole theology of it. I don't know if I even believe the Bible. But you know what, I hope I, I hope I can hire somebody like that because they have great standards. And they don't, they're not on Facebook or on Candy Crush while they're at the job but they actually do what they say they're going to do. I don't believe in all the Jesus stuff, but man, I sure am glad that that church is in my community, and I'm glad when they get rich because it helps everybody else. That's what people should be saying about us, but that's not what they say. That's not what they say. He goes on, verses 16 and 17. i tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, although we act like it, don't we? We're greater than Jesus nor a messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Keep on going. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you believe them, if you exegete them, if you memorize them, if you go to church and you, you memorize it in like different versions. Is that what it says? No. You will be blessed if you what? Do them. You see, as Christians, we, can, we have a great talk. We can talk and we can, we can talk about verbs and tenses and all of this stuff. And, and, you know, our wife says, hey, can you come help me with the kids? No, shut up and sit down. I'm reading my Bible. Really? No, you are blessed if you do them. And anybody can do that. You do them. Let me tell you our big idea today is this. Recovery begins when we leverage our entitlements for the benefit of Of those less entitled. That's it. This is what Jesus did. This is what he is calling you and I to do. Because it's not about getting ours. It's about when we get ours, we can give it away and we can help other people. Um, This is what it says in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. It talks about the reason why God blessed Abraham. He says, I am blessing Abraham so that you will be a blessing to other people. That's what he's calling you and I to do. There's four things that I think that God gives us that we could do something with. All right, here it is. The first one is our time, our time. It's my time, it's my weekend, it's my spare time, it's my morning to sleep in. Okay, I get it, time. Next one, money. It's your money, you earned it, you deserved it, even if you inherited it. It was your parents, your parents had every right in the world to just give it to you. Okay, it's your money. Next one, your possessions. Your possessions and you're entitled to your possessions. I mean, you bought it, you saved for it. Some of you, we talked about this last week, you borrowed, <laughs> you put it on credit. Not good, but you got it, okay. It's your possessions. And the last one, influence. All of us have influence in here. Some of you are going, I don't have influence, Chris. If you're a parent, you have great influence. Here's the thing about these four things. Our church knows this. You people, you know this. We know this, that God has given us time And it's a valuable commodity. He's given us money. And for us to be able to leverage that money to help others out. He's given us possessions. And it's not just mine, it's ours. And then lastly, he gave us influence. And the conversation, it's a fun conversation to have, is how can I leverage these four things so that I can be able to serve other people? Here's the thing. I believe if we get this right... It's amazing what God will do. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to push you really hard until the end of the year. I'm going to push you really hard for us to be more aggressive in collectively leveraging the entitlement of your time, of your money, of your possessions, of your influence. So that you will be able to make a difference in somebody else's life. You know, at the beginning of this series, I talked about that we don't have a financial problem. We have a spending problem. We talked about greed. Anybody remember the definition of greed? Greed is the assumption that everything that comes in my hands is for my consumption. That's the definition of greed. We have a greed problem here in America. And here's the reason why I know. The average American gives about 1.5 to 2% of their income Away to charities That's sad The average christian does that and hear me. I know times are tough I don't know some people, you know didn't get paid for a while, but then you got back pay I understand all of that But imagine what christ followers could do and would do and churches would do if we decided You know what we're going to get up off the sidelines and we're going to help other people and it's not just the Welfare's problem. It's our problem let me tell you what's happened with us in, the, in this year. It's, it's, it, to be honest with you, it's a miracle. Every year, we have a, a team of men, our elders, decides and sets our budget. And every year in the past five years, that budget has been set. And amazingly enough, God has exceeded that. Like last year in 2012, the elders set our budget as is, is $395,000 that we were going to be able to receive in for our entire 2012 budget. And you know what God did? We got $404,000. And it's like, wow, God's good. He's done that every year. Let me tell you about this year because this year has been tough. Right now, we're about $70,000 behind budget. Now, I'm not up here begging for you. We're not taking an offering again, all right? So this is no guilt. I'm just letting you know where we're at. In fact, I called one of our elders this morning. I said, do you think it's okay for me to share this? He said, yep. (laughs) So let me tell you what's happened in in this past year. We have given away more money to help people in need this year than we ever had because we've had more people show up, and many of them have been our own people, needing help financially because of furloughs and other things. And we have been able to give out and give out and give out. That's been amazing. We're getting ready, and Luther's going to talk to you about this. We're getting ready to partner with a, we partner with a ministry every month, and we give away money. We've helped churches in Connecticut and New York City, and literally, I mean, it's amazing what God has done because of your generosity. But we're 70 grand behind budget. Let me tell you what's been amazing about this. We've not had to lay anybody off. We've kept the lights on here at the school. Um, we've decided, okay, we're not going to advertise as much. And some of you may have noticed that. And we're going to do some things differently. We had some plans we were going to do. We decided, you know what, we're not going to do it. And what, praise God, we're still in the black. That's a miracle, right? I mean, that really is a miracle. Here's what I, I'm asking you to do. Because I've kind of had you guys on training wheels for the past six years. And i just said, you know, it doesn't matter what you give as long as you give. <laughs> I am telling you, and I'm asking you because this is what the Bible says, I'm asking you for all of us to pray about this, and I'm giving you a month to do it, to pray about becoming a percentage giver, and specifically 10% before anything. Now, let me tell you, that's difficult. I've shared with you my struggle as your pastor in past churches doing that. And praise God, we've been able to do that here, but it's, it's scary. It is. It is. It's just scary. And here's what's so crazy. When you have a dollar and you take 10% of a dollar, how much is that? 10 cents. Is that a lot of money? Nah, it's not. We throw 10 cents in a, in a, in a fountain all the time. No big deal. The problem is when you increase the dollars, right? The percentage doesn't get any bigger. But man, when you start thinking, okay, I made $800 in two weeks. I got to give 80 of it away. And that's, that's difficult. I understand that. But let me tell you some of the things that we're talking about. We Over the past year, we have seen so many baptisms. So many baptisms. God has done so much work here in this church. In 2014, let me tell you some of the things that we're praying about and thinking about. We're looking at land. We're looking at buildings. We're looking at, okay, what is that next step that we can get into more permanent location so that we can launch more one churches out there? Because more people need to hear Jesus. But we, I'm telling you, in order for us to do that, we all got to get on board. We all have to. So no guilt. We're not passing another offering, though some of our elders have suggested that. Just saying, the end of the year is coming. And some of you, I know furloughs hit, and you like, we're going to stop it. We, we, we got to hold back. I understand that. I'm asking you to be able to trust God. Jesus said it this way, that where your treasure is, where your wallet is, there your heart will be also. So we're asking us, we're asking all of us, God has done some amazing things and he will continue to do that. And I'm just asking you to be a part of that. The ministry is going to still still keep on going. We've been able to cut some things and and it's amazingly, we still see people, my son got baptized this morning. That's so freaking cool. You know how much money that cost? Nothing. And you could be a part of that. Every dollar you give goes towards missions. And here's what's so cool about this. As we close, in the first century, the Christ followers knew this. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of influence. They weren't in power. But let me tell you what they did. They leveraged what they had, what they were entitled to, to with people who were, had no entitlement. And they gave it to them. Nothing was their own. They shared. And when the Romans, when they had a baby and they didn't want the baby, they would throw the baby down by the riverbank. And the Christians would come and scoop up that child and raise that child like they were very own. And some of you, you know what that means. I mean, we have people in here like um, Christy and Kevin Palmer who continue to help foster kids all around them. You you can see their family. It continues to grow. They're like our age. And they got two-year-olds and three-year-olds just always coming about. Praise God we got people like Luther and Rhonda, who's always, man, their heart is for adoption. Because there's so many kids out there. Remember what James says? Real religion is when you care for the orphans and the widows. It's not about stained glass. It's not about anything. It's about the church being the church. And if the church was the church, maybe our community would be more apt to follow Jesus. Because I believe that most people love Jesus. They just have a problem with the church. Last verse and I'm, I'm done. Mark ten forty five. This is how Jesus said it. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That summarizes it. I believe our marching order is is Christian, that our marching order is Christians. that if we would just do this one thing well, our nation will recover. And Christians, the church, will have led the way, and not to our glory, but to the glory of our gracious God, whom we love and serve, and everything's been created by him and for him, who's given us so much stuff. So I'm just going to ask you to pray. Next year, it's coming. I'm going to be talking a lot about what we can do to leverage what we've been entitled with for those who have nothing. Nothing. People are at home. 88% of people in Clarksville Montgomery County are at home right now. And they don't think that church is worth showing up and coming to. We want to change that. You want to change that. Some of you are here and you have... You've been in that tank. You've been baptized. You've seen God do some amazing things just because somebody leveraged what they had. Let's answer some questions, and we're done. What do you do when you have served and your service is misused, and how do you keep serving without resentment or regret? That's a great question. And uh, what I'm going to tell you is probably not going to be really easy. And by the way, I don't know who wrote wrote this, so um, I'm not getting on to you. Who did you do it for? Who did you do it for? Did you do it to be recognized? Did you do it for, so that somebody would be able to see you? Or did you do it for Jesus Christ? Ask the question, what did Jesus do? Was he ever served and was he ever taken advantage of? Absolutely. Did people always say thank you to him? <laughs> Absolutely not. So I would just say that hopefully that didn't happen here. Maybe it happened another, or maybe it did. I'm just telling you, every church is jacked up. Every church is really screwed up, all right? When you find a perfect church, don't join it because you will screw it up. I'm telling you. Just telling you. But my question is, who did you do it for? If you, if you do it for Jesus, even if you give more than you receive, isn't that what our Savior did on the cross? I don't know, I'm just saying. That's getting crazy. All right. Um, Christ died for me. I should die for another. Likewise, he was the Lord and teacher of those whose feet that he washed. Do I need to be in some way above whom I choose to die for? And I don't think any of us are above anyone. You know, you may have different titles and all this stuff, different ranks on your chest. I understand that. But again, if your rank is higher on your chest, you got to realize the only reason God has put you there is so that you can serve. That's it. All right, here's another one. Uh, Jesus would do the whole Lowe's and Fishe's thing with the 60-inch TVs. <laughs> All right. I don't even know what to do about that. So I do love our people. I tell you what, you guys are awesome. So let me pray and we'll be done for today. All right. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, for how you love us. And God, I thank you so much, God, that you have entrusted us with so very much. That we who live here in America, we are rich beyond comparison. Even when our bank account says otherwise, we are blessed. I pray, Lord, that you would show us that the reason why you've blessed us is so that we will be a blessing to other people. Lord, that we won't be focused on what we're entitled to, but how we can leverage what you've entitled to us for those people who are less fortunate, who cannot speak for themselves, that we would be an advocate for those who has no voice. Lord, I thank you so much for how you love us. In Jesus' name.